All right, everybody, welcome back to the Bible Study Podcast. I am Travis Pauley, and here we have one goal, learn to love like Jesus. Here, as always, with Wes McAdams. Hi, Wes. Hey, brother. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. How are you? I'm great. Excited for another podcast episode. Me too. We have a listener question today. Awesome. Go ahead and read it. It says, growing up in the church, I heard it said quite often, we'd sit at the judgment seat. We will give an account for all our sins almost like a line-by-line reading of everything we've done wrong. I've also heard many sermons saying that God has wiped away all our sins and remembers, remembers them no more, perhaps magnified with studies on grace that I was never exposed to as a child. So are sins forgotten, or will we have to give an account? Great question. Great question. And I can't help but answer binary questions with my favorite answer. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that, but it is a great question, Nathan. Yeah. Thank you for submitting that. And um, yeah, I, I can't wait to dive into this. I think it's great. I There's so many little nuances and parts of this that I, I kind of want to dive into. But first, I thought it might be helpful if we just read. There's four verses that I want to read. And then, um, and then we'll talk about the context Mm -hmm. because just very basically, again, the answer to the question, are our sins forgotten or will we have to give an account? Again, I think the answer is yes. And I think, again, that doesn't really make sense if we think of forgotten in the sense of, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. If, if we're talking about forgotten in that sense, then that it would be nonsensical to say we have to give them a given account and they are forgotten because if they're forgotten in one sense of the word forgotten, that would mean I don't know what you're talking about. Right. But I think we have to be very careful when we say that God forgets our sins. Mm. If by that we think that means God has no idea what we're talking about. So we'd be like, God, Hey, you remember that one time when I told that lie and God's like, I have no I have no clue. I have no recollection of that. Then that has implications about God being all-knowing. As if to say that like take the apostle Paul for instance. So Paul before he became an apostle persecuted the church. Right. He persecuted Jesus, Jesus said. Jesus said, "Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?" And then Saul did what Ananias said. He arose, he was baptized, and he washed away his sins, calling upon the name of the Lord. So his sins were washed away. He was forgiven. His sins were removed as far as the east is from the west, from Paul. But I have a really hard time with the idea that if he was to say to Jesus in in paradise or in, in the resurrection, hey, Jesus, you remember when I persecuted the church? Yeah. And Jesus would be like, I have no idea what you're talking about, Paul. Like, that never happened. Right. That That's just not true. Jesus remembers Paul persecuting the church. If somebody would say to that, no, Jesus doesn't remember that, well, that that's to say Jesus doesn't know half of what the Bible says, right. because the Bible covers so many things that God's people did for which they were forgiven. Mm -hmm. And of course, God remembers that in the sense that he knows that it happened. What we mean by God forgets these things, or these sins are forgotten, or they are taken away from us, is that they are not held against us. They're not on our record. They're they're not being charged to our account. And so in that sense, yes, our sins are forgotten. um, But in another sense, there is an idea that we are going to give an account to God. Now, I, I, 
I think maybe we're going too far when we say that that's a line by line reading. Like there's a, a an episode of the Loki, the new Loki oh, series yeah. that's on Disney Plus. I'm not necessarily recommending the show, but but uh, he gets to this place in which oh, most yeah. of the show yeah, takes yeah, yeah. place. And there's a whole stack of papers. That's everything he's ever said and done. Right. And then he says something like, are you kidding me? Or you can't be serious. And then another sheet of paper gets printed <laughs> out and, and added to the stack because he's now done something else. Yeah. So I don't think that when we say that we're going to give an account or stand before the judgment seat, that that necessarily means a line by line reading. Although I, I grew up the same way Nathan did. And, and that's very much how I thought of the judgment scene. Yeah. Um, so I just want to read these verses sort of out of context, and then we'll kind of go back through them in context and sort of understand that paradox of being forgiven, but yet standing before the judgment seat of of God or the judgment seat of Christ. So let's read a few verses. Matthew 12, verses 36 and 37. Matthew 12, 36, 37 says this, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. So again, I mean, that sounds like every careless word I speak. Jesus says, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And then Paul says in Romans 14, verses 10 through 12, he says, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue confess to God. So that so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Second Corinthians chapter five and verse ten says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And then finally, Romans 2 and verse 16, on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. And there's several other passages we could include in that list. But yes, I I think that we cannot discount the fact, the fact that every individual human being will stand before God's judgment seat. Mm. Now, how exactly that will play out what of that is sort of figurative, what of it is literal, what exactly is all going to be said in the giving of account? That's a, Those are great questions, and we'll find out. Like, we'll yeah. find out on that day. Only, um, only one way to find out. Yeah, really. there's a, there is only one way to find out. But, but, I just want to say at the outset, it is not something, it is not something for about which Christians, people that are actively following Jesus, it is not something about which we should be afraid. Mm-hmm. And and I want to emphasize that from the beginning. I know I'm sort of, you know, destroying the lead in here, you know, the hook, but, but I want to say from the very beginning, yes, you will stand before God's judgment seat. I will stand before God's judgment seat. Travis will stand before God's judgment seat. But if you are following Christ Jesus, it is not something about which you should be afraid. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about who should be afraid. Because there are people that should be afraid, um, and it very well might be somebody that's—it might be one of us. It might be somebody that's listening, um, and and we'll talk about when that 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 is true. Um, but yes, we will stand before God's judgment seat. So let's talk about context, because that's how we discover the meaning of everything. Um, and so often these passages, the the words that I just read in those four verses, they really get thrown around a lot, and they're they're typically used to scare people. Right. And and even scare Christians. So much so that I've known 
people that I love, that I know for a fact are faithfully following Jesus, does that mean perfect? No. Faithfully following Jesus does not mean perfect. To be one of God's faithful covenant people has never meant perfect, but it means faithful. It means committed to him, loyal to him, giving our allegiance to him, uh, being tried and true to him. Um, but, but so often these verses are used to scare people into staying afraid as if fear is the best motivator. And we've talked about this in a previous podcast about whether we should obey out of fear or out of love. Um, and, right. and we'll probably tag that in the, in the comment section here. But, um, but this is so incredibly important. So let's look at the context. Matthew chapter 12. Now, if we started even earlier in the passage, Jesus is talking about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, that mm. those who blaspheme against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. And the Pharisees are the people that are blaspheme, blaspheming the Holy Spirit because they are, they are ascribing the miracles of Jesus mm. to Satan. They are so hard-hearted that when they see the miracles of Jesus, they ascribe those that miraculous power to the devil and to demons and right. say he's driving out demons by the power of demons. Um, and so that's the speech about which Jesus is talking. That's the speech, the, the careless words that Jesus is talking about in context. Now, let's start in verse 33, where he says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. We could even stop there for a second. That Jesus is saying that a good tree produces good fruit, right. and a bad tree produces bad fruit. Uh, you can know what sort of tree a tree is by the fruit that it produces. If it mm. produces bad fruit, it's a bad tree. You don't have good trees that produce bad fruit. You can't say, well, you know, I mean, I know that fruit is bad, but it's actually a really good tree. Yeah, I know... I know they said you were casting out demons by the power of demons, but I mean, they're really good guys. I mean, look at all the other good stuff that they've done. Jesus is saying, no, if their tree is producing this sort of rebellion and this sort of hard-heartedness, if these are the sorts of things that they're saying, it, it shows you who they are. It says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So he's saying, these words that you're saying, it's not just a, a slip of the tongue. It's not just an anomaly. It's not just something that's inexplicable. This comes from some place, and the place from which it comes is your heart, and it's the evil that's in your heart, and that's why you're saying the things that you're saying. He says, the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So he says, the Pharisees have this appearance of being religious people, but their words betray them. Their words betray the fact that they are actually evil people. They're, the evil in their heart is producing evil fruit. And by that fruit, they will be judged. And, and Jesus isn't just saying, you're actually a good tree, but because you produce a bad fruit, you're going to be condemned. He's saying, no, you have bad fruit because you're a bad tree, and you're going to be condemned because you're a bad tree. Not just because you had, oh, well, oops, I said that word. I shouldn't have said that word. 
we use this passage all the time in a way that says, you know, hey, if you slip up and say something you shouldn't say, then... Like that kind of careless. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and yes, that's true. But we ought to really take a listen to what Jesus is saying in that he's right. saying, if you say bad things, it's because there's bad things in your heart. This isn't just a slip of the tongue. It's a slip of the tongue that comes from something deeper, something that's rotten in the core. And so you have to be converted. You have to be changed because you're going to be held accountable to the fruit that your life is producing. You you are responsible for that. You can't just say, wow, that was just that. That was, I was just being careless. I I wasn't really thinking. Yes, you were really thinking. You were really feeling. It, It was coming from who you are inside. Well, and this makes it, to go to the context of it, back to when, you know, what prompted them to say you're casting out, uh, or you're casting out demons in the name of Beelzebub. Right. Uh, it, it reminded me of when, uh, at another point in the Gospels, the apostles come upon people uh, healing and right. prophesying, and, and they want to condemn them. You know, they're, right. they're not following you. They're right. not doing it in your name. Yeah. And Jesus says, they're not against you. Yeah. <laughs> they're yeah. for you. Yeah. And he kind of counsels them against this, yeah. you know, don't. He's healing the blind and mute, and he's casting out demons, and the Pharisees' response is, this must be the devil. Yeah. You know, it's like that. So that extra level of careless, like, it it speaks to the the evil in your heart. Well, yeah, and that's a great point, because these other people that were doing that were doing it in the name of Jesus, but they just weren't... They just weren't with... They weren't part of the group. Yeah, they weren't part of our group. Like, why why are you... Well, and and that's the thing, is that even just the idea of confession this this goes to Romans 10 like if you write in your bible you might write Matthew 12:33 through 37 beside Romans 10:9 and 10 when Paul says with the with the heart you believe and with the mouth you confess it's exactly what Jesus is saying mm-hmm. we will be we will be condemned on the one hand because of our words but he also says for by your words you will be justified by what words? Like, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Why do I say I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Because I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, because I believe that in my heart, and I'm willing to confess it with my mouth. Your mouth speaks what your heart knows to be true. And sometimes when we're not thinking about it, our, our mouth really confesses what our heart believes to be true. And that ought to not just cause us to guard our words. Mm -hmm. If we read this passage and we think Jesus is just saying, be careful what you say, (laughs) he's not. He's saying, be careful who you are, because your mouth in those moments where you're not really thinking about it, your mouth will betray who you really are. Mm -hmm. And and when, when the chips are down, when your back's against the wall, when you really have to say who you are and what you believe, your mouth will either justify you or condemn you. And and so much of it comes down to our confession of faith. Right. Do you really believe that? And we confess it because we believe it. Um, and, and so, yes, we will be justified or condemned based on what we say, but it's based on what we say because that comes from somewhere. And Jesus says it comes from your heart. So uh, it just makes me think, you know, in this, this is a specific situation where they're seeing Jesus heal, they're seeing Jesus cast out demons, and, and that's, like you said, that's, that's the overflow of their mm-hmm. heart when they're sort of caught off guard in this moment and seeing the crowds say, you know, could this be the Messiah? Mm-hmm. And, um, where do you think that pops up for us? You know, I'm, I'm trying to think of times where when is it, when does my mouth say mm-hmm. what, what is really in my heart, mm-hmm. you know? Well, I, and, and sometimes it's what our mouth says, and sometimes it's what our mouth 
doesn't say. You oh, know, sometimes yeah, it may be that, that we don't speak truth. We mm. don't, you know, it bothers me the fact that, speaking about confession, it bothers me that so few, I, I hear so few Christians talk about Jesus outside of the worship assembly. Mm. They'll say God in a very generic sense. Well, God doesn't want us to do this, and God blesses us when we do that, or God this, or God that. And we speak about God in a very generic sense. Yeah. But it, for a lot of us, it makes us very uncomfortable. We seem maybe like a holy roller or Bible thumper, or we're taking right. Christianity too far and to Jesus talk definitely about. Jesus takes it to another Jesus, level. Jesus, right. Yeah. When we say Jesus, when we say the name of Jesus, or we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, or we talk mm-hmm. about the Spirit's role in our lives— to, to talk about that is a revelation of who you are and what's important to you. Yeah. And to not talk about it, to not, not talk about God in a very specific sense of Jesus and the Spirit and the Father. Mm-hmm. And even that, even saying the Father, implies that you also believe in the Son and, believe, and implies that you believe in the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so to talk about the triune God in which we believe and, and the one in that lives inside of us and that empowers us and forgives us and the one at whose table we sit and all of these things. Like if we don't talk about that, if we don't confess that, if his name isn't constantly on our lips, that ought to make us stop and think, well, do, do I really believe this? Right. Um, and then, and then in those moments, I mean, there's so many things <laughs> that we say, I, I don't want to, I don't. I, I, w- I want to be really careful here because I don't sure. want it to, you know, sound like I'm condemning anybody. But yeah. we do. We say things like, "Well, I really got lucky there," and mm. you know, and, and wait, wait, stop and again. I'm not. I, I use lucky sometimes too, and yeah. and we're and there are things that are coincidental sure. and whatever. But it's things like that. Like we're ascribing, maybe, perhaps we're ascribing the providence of God and the gifts of God to sheer luck and chance. Mm as opposed to giving glory to God. Right. And, and so it's things like that, that when we're not really thinking about it, do we do uh, what, I mean, even if little things like getting cut off in traffic, mm. do we yell and scream and cuss at people? And Jesus says, right. that is a revelation of what's in your heart. This yeah. isn't just, this isn't just, oops, a slip of my tongue. I remember one of the first times I ever heard somebody I knew say something, say a profanity. I was at the preacher's house. We, we, we were part of a congregation that didn't have a church building. And we met um, on Sunday mornings at a gymnasium and we kind of cleared everything out. We rented a facility. And then like Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, we met in people's homes. And so like a Wednesday night, we were in, having Bible class at the preacher's house in like a bedroom. So it was like, you know, a few young people and the preacher was teaching us in this little bedroom and something happened. I forget. But the preacher's daughter got flustered and said a bad word. Mm. I I can't imagine, especially as a preacher now, I I can't imagine being in that situation, especially with other people. And I mean, of course, he was really upset. But of course, she excused it by saying, oh, I've never said anything like that before. I don't know why I said that. It was just a slip of my tongue. Yeah. And he called her on it and he said, nonsense. You don't say something like that if you've in that situation that you've never said before. Like, you don't do that unless it's in your heart. Mm. And and it was a, a lesson I've never forgotten. It was a really awkward situation, but I've never forgotten that because it's exactly right. Right. Are the words that we speak, especially when we're mad or when we're scared or when we're not thinking about it, 
those words reveal what's going on in our heart. And Jesus says, you will give an account. These Pharisees who were putting on a good show of being religious people, Mm -hmm. they had betrayed the fact that they were really evil people. They were wolves in sheep's clothing, and their words revealed it. You can look at a tree, and it may look like a healthy tree until it produces some fruit. And then you look at the fruit, and you say, aha, it's not a healthy tree. And Jesus Mm -hmm. is using this as a way of picking a piece of rotten fruit off the tree and say, this shows who you really are. And, and again, there's an incredibly powerful lesson for us there. Uh, let's read one more passage, and then we'll probably, uh, probably be time for a break. So let's look at Romans 14, verses 1 through 13. I know that's a big passage, but Romans 14, 1 through 13. He says, As for the one who is weak in faith, of course, this is Romans 14, you know, bear with each other and differences of opinion. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So even before we get any further, the context of this is don't judge your brother. Mm-hmm. Your, your brother has decided that he can or can't do that, and you've decided whether you can or can't do that. But either way, even if you don't agree on these conclusions to which you've come, welcome each other, love each other, and don't judge each other. And then it's in that context that he says, because you belong to the Lord and you will stand before the Lord and the Lord is able to make you stand and it's able to make him stand. The Lord is able to make your brother that you look at and say, there's no way that's right. He's wrong. He's wrong. He shouldn't do that. And and Paul says, no, no, no. He stands before the Lord and the Lord is able to make him stand. That's a humbling thing in and of itself. And then in that context, he says, verse 10, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why, or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. <laughs> so again, the context It's not about, hey, you need to be scared because you're going to stand before God's judgment seat. The context is, hey, you need to not judge your brother because he's going to stand before God, not you. You're not his judge. God is. He says in verse 13, therefore, so here's the application, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. So the conclusion is, hey, stop putting yourself in God's role. Stop being the judge, jury, and executioner. God is going to handle that, and he's able to handle it. He's able to make your brother stand. Your job is to not get in your brother's way. Mm. Your job is not to be your brother's judge. Your job is not to get in his way, not to be a hindrance to him, not to be a stumbling block to him. Stop making your opinions or your conclusions be a stumbling block to your brother and just welcome each other and get out of each other's way. Yeah, you, you said something recently uh, in a class you were talking about, you know, you mentioned the Jesus's statement about, you know, take the beam out of your own eye before you're looking at the log and, mm-hmm. and somebody else's, and that powerful visual of the beam right. <laughs> sticking right. out of somebody's face. Back in the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And 
you know, the more the more we talk about that, the more we the more I read that passage that Jesus, you know, that when Jesus says that, I, I think about how that is. It's it's a recipe for the fundamental orientation of a Christian mm-hmm. that the moment I find myself angry or upset mm-hmm. about something somebody else is doing, you know, taking a training myself to take a good long look at okay, I might be right. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm always willing to consider that, mm-hmm. but I might be right. I might be right that there's something rotten sure. going on here. Yep. But why am I getting so worked up about yep. it? And you you brought this up under the context of uh, uh, in James, mm-hmm. where James says, you know, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And I, you you're reading that verse, and I thought, for I've I've often probably used for myself and <laughs> and and heard used many times in the church that the idea of righteous indignation. Mm-hmm. But it's a term applied only to God. That's right. Yeah, God's indignation yeah. is the only indignation that's righteous. Right. <laughs> that's right. And I was thinking about how. So in that situation where, you know, I see something that my brother's doing that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Why do I? Why do I? Even if I'm right, why do I? Why am I so eager to mm-hmm. change him? Mm-hmm. Why am I so? You know, the the easy answer is to say, well, it's be- for him. Mm-hmm. For him, I want to help him. Mm-hmm. But then, why am I so worked up about it? Mm-hmm. And yeah. and what is it what what is it distracting me mm-hmm. from looking at in my own life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe the anger is r- something I should be looking at mm-hmm. as opposed to the to the to what the brother's doing because yeah. I can actually do something about that. I can actually do something about what's coming from my heart mm-hmm. as opposed to what's you know somebody who's of an entirely different agency than I, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah. anyway, that yeah, was... Yeah, and, and that's not to say that there's not a time to correct each other right. and to to warn each other and those kind of things, but you're exactly right. If if we're getting angry yeah. and we're we're desiring to put the smack down on somebody else right. verbally or otherwise, then we need to check ourselves. Mm-hmm. We need to discipline ourselves and that... The, we need to understand that they're going to stand before God's judgment seat. They're going right. to answer to God. Um, and yes, I may need to say something to them, but I need to make sure I'm not being a stumbling block to them, that my my opinions, my right. conclusions don't become a stumbling block to them. I just want to take a short break from our Bible study to tell you that if you are enjoying this discussion, you might also enjoy my book, Beyond the Verse. You can find the audio version of the book at radicallychristian.com slash audible. That's radicallychristian.com slash audible. And if you're not already an Audible subscriber, you can actually get my book for free when you sign up for a free trial. So go to radicallychristian.com slash audible. Now back to the Bible study. Okay, so just to kind of recap, we we talked about the context of Matthew 12, which mm-hmm. is you're going to be judged based on the kind of tree you are, and the kind of tree you are will will be indicated by the kind of fruit you produce, including the careless words that you speak. Right. And then in Romans 14, again, Paul says every individual human is going to stand before God's judgment seat, but he's saying that in the context of they're going to stand before God's judgment seat, not your judgment seat. And so again, Paul isn't using... So when we take the phrase of Romans 14.10 and say, um, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God as a way to scare each other. Yeah, it's kind of the exact opposite of what he's saying. It's exactly right. It is the exact opposite of what he's saying, because he says just a few verses earlier in verse four, the Lord is able to make him stand. Yeah. Like, 
he's welcomed him. And so you need to welcome him too. And and sometimes we we use that as a way of saying, well, I've already passed judgment on you and God's going to pass judgment on you as well. Like God's going to agree with me that you're wrong. And, and so we use these phrases as a way to scare each other when Paul was using it as a way to comfort each other to say, hey, you you don't have to be your brother's judge. In fact, you have no right to be your brother's judge. You are usurping God's authority by taking your conclusions, your spiritual conclusions that you worked hard to come to, and maybe you're right and maybe you're wrong. That's beside the point. The yeah. point is don't take your conclusions and use those as a way of kicking your brother out, excluding your brother or condemning your brother, you need to be determined to be a helper to your brother, to help them and not to hinder them. Okay, so that's the first two passages. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 6. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6. He says, so we are always of good courage. He's talking about himself and his traveling companions. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Again, context we look at the entire context of 2 Corinthians, the Corinthians are beginning, there's some people in the church that are beginning to doubt Paul's legitimacy. They're beginning to suspect that these false teachers, these false, these false apostles are really right and true, and that Paul doesn't know what he's talking about, or Paul shouldn't be listened to. So the entire book of 2 Corinthians is Paul trying to prove his genuineness, mm -hmm. to say, I really am what I appear to be. I, I haven't put on airs. I haven't tried to pull the wool over your eyes. And in uh, chapters 11 and 12, he will give his resume of suffering. This is all the things that I've suffered. I'm not going to boast in my strengths. I'm only going to boast in my weaknesses. So it's in that context that Paul is saying, I'm eager for the day of judgment. Mm -hmm. I can't wait for the day of judgment because the day of judgment will reveal who is true and who is false. The day of judgment will reveal what is real and what is a facade. That on the day of judgment, I'll be vindicated and you'll see that I really have done everything I have done in order to please him. Because on that day... Everything we've done in the body, whether good or evil, will be exposed. And the people that are just fakers, the people that are pretending, they will be exposed for the frauds that they are. And those that have been genuine and have been falsely accused, they will be vindicated and exposed for the genuine servants of Jesus that they really are. So again, when we try to use this to scare genuine people into being even more faithful— we're really not being faithful with the text. Paul's not saying we should all be scared about the day of judgment. He's saying, I'm not scared at all because I know who I am. And I know that I'm using my opportunities to bring glory to Jesus. I'm using those. And, and Jesus is going to be proud of me. Jesus is proud of me. Jesus is commending me. Jesus is saving me. And Paul, again, that's not to say Paul thinks he's perfect. He knows he's not perfect, but he, he does know he's being faithful. And even though he's being accused, and those people that have been accused wrongly, 
people have said all kinds of things about, they say, wow, you're a false teacher, you're a hypocrite, you're a whatever, and it's not true, that hurts. And there's nothing you can do because the more you try to defend yourself, the more guilty you seem. Mm -hmm. And so people that have been in that situation, they know exactly what Paul is saying, that Paul is, Paul is saying, look, I haven't done what they say I've done. I'm not the person that these false teachers say that I am. There's nothing I can do to convince you. I would have hoped that you would know that because you've been with me, you've seen me, you've right. heard me. I would think you would know that by now. But if you don't know that, then on the day of judgment, it'll be revealed. It'll all come out. And there's a comfort to that to say, I don't have to prove myself. I just have to be faithful. And if people, if I do everything I'm supposed to do, or I do what I'm supposed to do, and people still don't believe me and they still doubt me, and they still falsely accuse me, it's okay, because Jesus will vindicate me. And the pressure that that would take off of us mm. to try to save face, to try to prove ourselves all the time, to try to make everybody think the truth about us, it would take such a huge load off our shoulders to say, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what they think. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to love them. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to serve them because that's what Jesus expects of me. But if they don't believe me and they 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 think I'm a liar, it'll all come out. Yeah. It'll all be exposed. Maybe not in this life, but certainly in the one to come. And in order to have that perspective, you you have to be looking forward to the day of judgment. That's exactly right. That yeah. And that's why every time Paul talks about the day of judgment, it's something that he looks forward to, mm. something he's anticipating, something he's longing for. And when we use talk about the day of judgment as a scary thing for Christians, yeah. I want to not slap people in the <laughs> mouth. I, I won't say that, but I, I want people to, to yeah. shut their mouth. Like, don't make Christians be afraid of the day of judgment. Mm. Don't make Christians be afraid of the day of judgment. We should be ashamed to do that. A preacher who stands in the pulpit and makes Christians, makes people that are doing their best to follow Jesus afraid of the day of judgment, they ought to be ashamed of themselves yeah. because the day of judgment is not something that Christians should be afraid of. It's something that we should say, I can't wait. Oh, I can't wait for Jesus to appear. I can't wait to stand before his throne because my friends, they think I'm a liar. They think I'm a hypocrite. They think I'm this, but I really love Jesus and I can't wait for the truth to be revealed. Yeah. Now, the people that should be afraid the people that Paul wanted to be afraid in this context are the false prophets, are the, right. the false apostles, are the false teachers. And, and there are. There are people in the pews, there are people listening to this that are living a double life, that are doing things and trying to keep them hidden, and they're living this secret life over here. That will be exposed. And if somebody is living a double life, they ought to be afraid because everything is going to be exposed. And that's what happens when you live in sin and you sort of have this part of your life that's sort of in darkness and hidden. That's your biggest fear. Your biggest fear is it's going to come out. It's going to come out. And, and, and you, you'll have nightmares about what if it gets exposed? What if people find out? It's so much better to confess it before it gets exposed. And that's what Paul says throughout his epistles is confess your sins, confess your sins. God is gracious and merciful. He's abounding in, in this love and this generosity. But if you keep it hidden until the day of judgment, it's going to be exposed and you're going to be held accountable for it. And, and so that's, that's the people that ought to be afraid. Now, that certainly does apply to a lot of Christians, 
But there's a lot of Christians it doesn't apply to, that they're being open and honest. Hey, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes, and I've sinned, and I've confessed those to my family, to each other, to the Lord, and I don't have anything that's hidden. I don't have anything that's secret. And, And I think sometimes when people are living a secret life, I think they secretly... They, they kind of uh, project that onto other people and they assume everybody's got these secrets. Everybody mm. has skeletons in their closet. And that's just not the case. And, and if there are skeletons in our closet, we need to bring them to the surface. We need to allow the light of the gospel to shine on them so that we can be forgiven rather than holding on to them and keeping them a secret until it gets exposed. Because if it gets exposed at the day of judgment, that, that's, that is something that should cause us to tremble. But again, when Paul's talking about himself standing before judgment, he's he's not scared of that at all. Like, he's right. excited for that day. Well, and you made a point a couple episodes ago about confession, about how if, you know, I think your point was like, you know, hypothetical, if somebody's holding a gun to your head, you know, did you do this thing? And if you if you did, I'm going to kill you. Yes, yeah. Well, there's, there's no, no motivation for you to right. confess. Right. So, like, when you use passages like this as a, you know, thump you over the head, fire and brimstone yes. preaching. Yes. You're not giving people who may have skeletons in their closet a lot of motivation for right. For because it's like you're 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 damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. That's Literally. Right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's right. like right. if 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 I if I am open and honest, then yep. I'll be eviscerated. I'll That's be right. then I do need to fear the day of judgment. Yes. According to some yes. of the preaching that comes out of this. Right. And then on the other hand, if I if I live a lie, yeah. then it'll come out and right. I should fear the day of judgment. Right. Right. So it's like, there's no, there's no win there. Yep. There's no, uh, and, and to your point, that's, that's absolutely not what Paul is saying. Here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We need to be open and honest about our shortcomings. Yeah. And when we are, there's nothing but grace and mercy and forgiveness. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean that there's not consequences that we're going to have to deal with if we confess our sure. sins. Of course, that that could very well be the case. But as far as God is concerned, there's grace and mercy and forgiveness, and we can begin the healing process, but it's a rotting away. And that's what the psalmist says, that when he held his sin in, it his bones were rotting away. And that's exactly what happens to us. It, there's a decay that happens inside. And so... Everything that scripture says about judgment is that those people that on the outside, they they have this facade of being upstanding and religious and everything else, but there's decay and rot inside, that there may be very few people that know it, mm-hmm. and they may seem to get away with it, but they're not going to get away with it forever. Um, I think about... I think about um, it's a Wonderful Life, my favorite Christmas movie, one of my favorite movies of all time, Um makes me cry every single time I see it. But the the bad guy in the movie is Mr. Potter. And mm-hmm. Mr. Potter accidentally got a hold of $8,000 that belonged to the Bailey family. Yeah. And the uncle put it in his newspaper and it accidentally got handed to him. And he knows what's going on. Mr. Potter has this money that's going to bankrupt and even send to prison George Bailey. Uh, but he's going to hold on to it and not tell anybody about it. And then at the end of the movie, the deficit gets made up Spoiler alert, I should have said. The deficit gets made up. I think it's been... It's like 70 it's been years Like old. 70 years. Yeah, I think we're good. Yeah. Um, the deficit gets made up, but Mr. Potter never comes to justice. Like, yeah. he stole that money and he kept it and nobody ever knew about it. Nobody mm. knows about it. The only people that know are the audience. Nobody there knows the truth. Right. But that's why even the judgment of God is good news. Because all those people that have 
stolen and taken advantage and oppressed people and done horrible things, they will all be brought to account. Mm -hmm. And that's good news because it means I don't have to seek vengeance. I don't need to get revenge. I don't need to vindicate myself. Everything will be made right. Mm -hmm. And so there are people that are listening to this right now that maybe, maybe a woman who was raped, maybe somebody who was assaulted when they were a child, and the person who did it has never been judged for it. The person who did it never came to account. And maybe they, they got old and they died, and, and at their death, everybody praised them. And at their funeral, they said, oh, what a great person he was. But this victim knows better and knows what a horrible person that he was and the horrible things that he did he will stand before God's judgment seat. And even that's good news because it says, I don't, I don't have to burden myself right. with vengeance and vindication. I don't have to get even with anybody. Everything will be judged. Everything will be exposed. Everything will be laid bare. So if I'm hiding things, if I have skeletons in my closet that need to be brought out, I better do that mm-hmm. because, because I need, I need God's grace and forgiveness and mercy. But if I'm on the victim side of things, I, I can rest assured that God will vindicate and God will judge and God, the vengeance belongs to the Lord. We, we don't like to talk about a vengeful God, but that's good news. The only way we can be people that turn the other cheek is if we believe that there is going to be judgment and right. that God's judgment will be carried out. Okay, um, Romans 2 verses 14 through 16. He says, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Again, that's what judgment is about, is about the secrets of men. That's that's the person who needs to be afraid, is the person who has secrets. If you don't have any secrets, you don't have anything to be afraid of. If you have secrets, you need to confess them. You need to seek forgiveness. You need to repent. So, yes. So, it's like, on the one hand, I, I get frustrated by the hellfire and brimstone, you know, condemnation preaching that makes faithful Christians be afraid of the day of judgment. But on the other hand, we need that. We need somebody sure. saying, if you have secrets, you need to be afraid of the day of judgment. And, and right now is the day of judgment. Right now is the moment of repentance and salvation. God is extending his hand of forgiveness and mercy and grace to say, come to me, come to me, repent, come, I'll forgive you, I'll, I'll wipe your sins away. And so for those of us that have done that, to get back to the original question by Nathan, that for those of us that have repented and we've confessed our faith in Jesus, we've been baptized into him, and, and as we continue to struggle with sin, we continue to repent and ask for forgiveness. For, for those of us that are in Christ Jesus, are we forgiven? Mm-hmm. Yes, for sure, absolutely. Our sins are washed away. It's no longer on our record book. Will we have to give an account? Yes, but he already knows. That's the thing. He already knows. And if we don't have any secrets, we don't have anything to be afraid of. We have nothing to be afraid of. And, and so I, I want to end with 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 13, because here's how John puts it, because I think he captures both sides of this conversation really well. He says, 1 John 4, 13, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. 
And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is so also are we in this world. Confidence for the day of judgment. That's something that I think so often is lacking in this conversation, that if we are faithful to Jesus and we're walking in his love, then we should have confidence for the day of judgment. He says in verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. And he who, and he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment that we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So he says, if you're loving your brothers... And God is loving you and you abide in God and, and God, you abide in God and God abides in you and you have this relationship with him, then you have nothing to fear. You've passed out of judgment. You have confidence on the day of judgment. You, you have nothing to fear because perfect love casts out fear. And so John isn't saying if you're perfect, you have nothing to fear. He's saying if you love and you are loved by God, then you have nothing to fear. And that is where we should land as Christians. That's what we should look for and long for. And so that's where I want everyone to be. That's where Jesus wants everyone to be, is in that state of confidence, of knowing I am forgiven. Not I am perfect, but I am forgiven. I am loved by God, and I'm loving my brothers and sisters in Christ. And if that's true, then you have nothing to fear for the day of judgment. Thank you so much for being part of the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast today. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I want to give a special thanks to Travis Pauly and to our McDermott Road Church family for making this podcast possible. As always, we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day.